0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at
1: your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. You can call 314 314- 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? One question for you, Mr. Kelly. Yes. Are you, I saw you playing with something. Was that your phone or something?
0: Yeah, I was oh. just replying to somebody. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're an outdoor kind of guy. So I like you, being outdoors. Yeah. Do you have a fire pit at home? You know, we have one, but my wife doesn't like the smell. So it just sits there. Wow. Yeah, it looks kinda cool. But I was just curious if you had one. No. I, I've always enjoyed sitting around the fire. But uh yeah, Sue doesn't like the smell, so we don't, you know. So the smoke? Yeah.
2: Whoa. Yeah.
0: I know. Oh well. Yeah, so
2: just curious. Yeah, it just i like sits to pry there. into your personal. It's life. got
0: wood in it and everything. The wood's been there <laughs> like two years and and I always joke about it, Yeah, let's let's go out and sit around the fire. Yeah, like we did last year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Oh, you could go out there and kick, you know, kick back a little bit by yourself.
0: Yeah. I tried last year and it wouldn't light, and then I went in and watched the hockey. Game. <laughs> it's too cold. <laughs> we see where your priorities uh, yeah. are. Yeah. Oh, of course. Hockey over fire. Of course.
2: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you bet. Yes, folks, and every Saturday morning we get together and we can discuss your yard, landscape, your garden, your house plants. Hopefully there's a house right down the street from me that their house plants were still out the other day. I don't know if they got them in last night or not. By you. because if they didn't, they're gone. And uh, how about potting mixes? How about how to improve your soil? How about pruning, bugs, diseases? Hopefully most of that stuff is going to be squelched. But you know, speaking of bugs and diseases, you know, your garden, if you've had problems this past year, regardless of what type of garden it is, make sure you keep all the debris or get the debris all picked up. You know, whether it's perennials, whether it's stems, whether it's leaves or anything else, because that's a great harboring circumstance for diseases and insects both. So that's one way to kind of stay ahead of the game. How about plants? You can do some still installation. I still have uh, some more bulbs to plant. I hopefully the areas where I'm going to plant them. Yeah, the soil's not frozen, but I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it's just right on the surface. But please remember my words open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part, mental and physical both. It's a marathon, and the sprints are, yeah, I mean, there's sprints, but uh, most of the time they are sprints and they're over pretty quickly. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And uh, Greg is here to answer the phone. Man, oh man, he's running the, I think, the longest run as far as a producer with not having any days, you know, Saturdays off. But uh, I greatly appreciate his efforts, and he's very nice to all the callers, and that's really a plus. So when you call in, he'll let you know know, where you are in the line many times and everything else, and if we're going to be able to get to you when and wherever during the course of the Garden Hotline. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've authored five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting. And that's what I call a walk and talk, where we spend time walking through your yard, answering questions, you know, aesthetics as well as problem solving. So, and uh, so you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. Boy, I went out you know, to get into the car I haven't used since it snowed last night, or, or was it two nights ago? No, it was last night. But anyway, everything was frozen. So, I mean, I you know, sort of had a I don't want to say pound on my car door to finally get it open, but that's what I had to do. But the sun was coming out, and I tell you, I came downtown, and this area, is the activity was like a beehive. And uh, even though some of the snow from last night was still kind of adding some spice to the lawn and some of the ground covers and things like that, most of it has, you know, had dissipated, even though, as Mr. Kelly said, it's still very, very cold. And uh, there was one large banner that states, uh, hmm, find yourself here. Any idea where that is? Find yourself here. And then there's two warriors with winged horses. One underneath says courage. The other one says vision. Foundation plantings of this building include catmint, boxwood, coral bells, Russian sage. In the view from the steps, the top of the steps, there's a flag for all different Military services, which is really kind of cool. So this is obviously the Soldiers Memorial. All kinds of stuff going on there today. A quadrant of lawn and some really unique chairs. You know, normally they kind of put the benches in that you see everywhere. These, I don't know. I didn't sit down on them because if they they look metal, I don't know if they are or not. But sitting down on metal when the temperature is this cold, even if the sun is out. Could be kind of cool, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're composite wood, plastic, and sawdust mixed together to make actually wood. Well, wood-like. And uh, there's all kinds of various other things going on as well. All of a sudden, I hear, you too, and it's a beautiful day. That was nice to hear. So I guess they were just checking the sound because there's all kinds of awnings and tents and everything else due to the going-ons of today, and I think there's some things going on tomorrow as well. And uh, underneath these established oaks, you're going to see some new zelkovas, some oakleaf hydrangeas, some tawny ewes, hollies, liriope, and much, much more. The massive anchor that used to be up near the building of the Soldiers Memorial is now down as part of the landscape, so that's kind of cool. It's on the east side of the landscape where there's granite-etched names of various people, who have made the supreme sacrifice, you know, of all the people that have died during the military service. Lenten rows, ornamental grasses, and uh, the fountains, though, they are quiet because it's cold. Acorns were all over the place. I mean, huge acorns from the oak trees that have, they managed to make it through all the construction and everything else, which has taken a couple years. A huge carved stone memorial dedicated to the sons and daughters who have given their lives... For God and country is just part of this plaque. So lots of different stuff going on. Myself, I am of Air Force veteran. I was in the Air Force from 19, April sixty nine till January of seventy three. I got a three-month early out to start attending school. Um, Air, Second Air Force, SAC, so bombers. So part of my Air Force time was spent in Guam as we sent bombers, B-52s, from Guam, over to Vietnam, and uh, what I did is I read the aerial photography to see if we hit the the targets and everything else. It was really kind of a messed up somewhat of a deal because it's a six-hour flight from Guam to Vietnam, and sometimes we'd give them three different targets because we knew something could potentially happen at one versus the other. Sometimes they'd all be clouded over by the time they got there, and sometimes the bombs had to be just dropped on an island off Vietnam because B 52s, they can take off with the bombs, but they cannot land with them, apparently. So, and when I wasn't working directly with the Vietnam War, uh, when I was back in the States, what we were doing is with satellite imagery, and this was a long time ago, like I said, 69 to 73, uh, taking pictures of industrial sites throughout the world, and then we would analyze these industrial sites as far as the development and to see if some of these countries that we were a little bit suspicious of may be doing something that may be, you know, let's say, making a circumstance where they could create some, let's say, havoc or trouble for the rest of the world. So uh, four years, not quite four years in the military. Um, It was a great, great, great experience in many ways. I'm not really all that sort of military-oriented, so sometimes (laughs) it— It sort of stretched my personality, but uh, it was well worth it, and I'm certainly glad I did serve my country. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages.
1: The only way you can take KingMOX with you is with the radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KingMOX.
2: Yes, folks. or 1-800-925-1120. We had not turned off our faucets yet, so I guess I'm going to have to do that today after I water my potted plants. I don't think there's too much of a pressure, even though it was pretty darn cold this morning. I mean, uh, like I said, when I stepped outside, I was a little shocked. Even though I knew the number, I'd forgotten what that number felt like as far as on my face, skin, and everything else. But anyway, let's head out to Overland. Joshua, how are you? Hello? Yes, hello? Hi.
3: Hi. Um, I have been growing citrus fruits in potted plants for several years, mm-hmm. um, and I always bring them in in the winter, and they do just fine. Um, this year, I added a dwarf pomegranate plant to that as well, and I brought the pomegranate plant in. Um, I slowly brought it in. Um, I have grow lights on it, but in the last two weeks, it has lost 80 percent of its leaves. Ooh. Is this normal? Is, is, do I need to take care of a pomegranate different than a citrus?:
2: Basically, pomegranates are not really all that successful as house plants. Even though they're sold, I've just not seen it, you know, over the years that I've been going to people's homes and, you know, usually even though it's a walk and talk for outside, sometimes I come inside, check out the house plants. I've never really even, to be honest with you, seen a pomegranate plant that looked successful. I mean, most of them do exactly what you've experienced or Or, what what your plant has experienced. So I would say just kind of keep your fingers crossed the care is minimal. I mean, don't definitely don't water it as, you know, or water a minimal amount, but it's pretty much like you've done with your citrus. So consequently, it just shows you kind of some plants are just not as successful genetically as others as far as houseplants go.
3: Mm, okay. So I'm doing the best that, that I can, but if I uh, cross my fingers, say my prayers, maybe it'll it'll work.
2: Right, exactly. And the, you know, the, the problem is once the foliage drops then that's where food is made. And even though there's much less food made in the wintertime or less f- much, or a lot less food needed by the plant material, once the leaves are gone, then there's no way for the plant to sort of feed itself because the nutrients and moisture come up from the root system. They go out to the leaves. The leaves use sunlight or grow lights like they're having right now to make food to share with the rest of the plant. So that's kind of, you know, when 80% of the leaves are gone, that's a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it happened all within two, three weeks.
2: Right, exactly. exactly. So it just went through a major shock. So just yeah. kind of don't prune it, don't do anything, just leave it alone and see how it looks, mm, let's say in February or so.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate
2: it. Because, you know, the reason why I'm saying wait till February, if it stabilized, stop dropping leaves, then that is certainly a good sign. But uh, if it continues to drop the leaves, then that's not a good sign. Let's go now to Brad, and Brad lives in St. Louis. Hi, Brad.
3: Well, good morning. Wow, from bombers to growing little plants. That's, that sounds like a peaceful choice to me. <laughs> um, I had a question about um, last year I had a really successful season as far as uh, container gardening, mm-hmm. and I used uh, potting mix. But now I'm wondering, has that, this is in about 10 gallon pots for, with tomatoes and peppers and things like that. Now, have I used all the nutrients in there and do I need to replace that potting mix?
2: Well, I, you know, I disagree. A lot of people say you should dump your potting mix at the end of the season. I have some potting mix that I'm sure part of it is at least, you know, 10 years old or older. What I do is a lot of times I still, you know, I have pots that I leave outside, but I mix in some new potting mix every year even in those pots. So, what in essence I do is a lot of it I just bring in the pots and then I dump the potting mix into like Rubbermaid containers and leave it in the garage. And okay. then the nutrient-wise, it doesn't really matter because you're going to be fertilizing them the you know, the, previous, the next year. So nutrients are coming in from the fertilizer as opposed to in the potting mix. Right. So, so, so I, I'm not exactly sure. Now, if there was a tomato that had some kind of disease... Or something along that line. Yes, I would dump that entire pot, all that potting mix myself. But uh, other than that, I don't see any reason to dump it. Okay, I just okay. don't, I don't quite get that philosophy. But I, you know, I read lots of different things where they say you should do that. And I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah. Okay. Well. Good. That's a kind of an expensive thing, anyway. So. Absolutely. And like I say, in the pots that stay out, that I put, let's say, spring flowering bulbs, and when the bulbs are finished, before I put the summer annuals in, I take out about twenty percent of that potting mix, and I do mix in some new, you know, potting mix in those pots. I mix it in with the existing stuff, and then I re- then that's when I plant uh, my summer annuals.
3: Mm. Hmm. Okay. Great. Well, thank you for your service to the country, sir. We have a beautiful country. Thank yes,
2: you. I agree. And uh, yeah, I was uh, quite a eye opening circumstance for me growing up in Ellisville. Uh, you know, I was. You know, I my grandmother lived in Richmond Heights, and she you know managed a grocery store in the city. And you know, my first five years or so, I lived in the city right by the Botanical Garden on Flat. And then my parents in '55 moved out to Ellisville. An eye opener that way, but I really didn't have all that much exposure, to, let's say, to the world. And then when I got into the Air Force, <laughs> so sort of, I'd never been on a plane before, and they flew me down to San Antonio, to Lackland for basic training. And then from there, I went to Denver and uh, got my technical school training. And from there, I went to Barksdale, which is in Shreveport, Louisiana. And from there, to March Air Force Base in Riverside, California, and from there, Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, and then back to Riverside. It was quite the experience, needless to say. But thanks a lot, Brad. And now let's go to Bob, and he lives in Arnold. Hi, Bob.
4: Hi, Mike. I got a question. I got a two day lilies in uh, two pots that are about eighteen inches high, foot across. Will they make the winter, or should I put them? Uh, can I put them up?
2: Uh, I would say you could give them a try, but probably I wouldn't just leave them sit on top of the ground like that, but, uh, you could try that, but I would probably just dig a hole someplace in a garden and just drop the pots down into the hole. Well, well
4: I was thinking about clipping them back and putting them in my shed.
2: Oh, uh you could do that. I mean there's but just make sure that they don't get totally dehydrated. That's could be uh, sort of the downside of doing that. If you remember to go out there and you know p- with some water every month or so and just water them, that's probably the best thing you can probably do and they should probably be able to make it okay. That's what I do with my knockout roses. I've got three in pots. Two of them this year. I'm going to take back into the garage like I've done historically, but I do have to go out every month or so. And you know, I've cut them back. I put black plastic over the top. I'm to keep them totally dark and dormant. And then I just uh, you know pour a gallon of water on the pots.
4: Okay, okay just water about every once a month.
2: Yeah, that should be adequate, just so the root system doesn't totally dehydrate.
4: righty. Yeah, they're kind of looking bad out there in this cold weather. Oh, yeah.
2: absolutely. I mean, they should. You cut off the foliage for sure. Most foliage yeah. on pretty much anything is going to be gone except for the obviously the evergreens. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Certainly appreciate you calling. And uh, let's go to Chuck and Shiloh. Hi, Chuck. Mike, good morning. Hey, Mike, you need to invest in some frost free spigots so you don't have to go through the pain of turning them off in the winter. That's very true. <laughs> very, very That's true. Mike, um, Last uh, last week, you mentioned uh, uh, talking about planting spring bulbs. That you do it on or around Halloween. Is it too late now? Oh no, I don't. That's when I generally start doing it. But this year, I haven't even. I last weekend, I did. I planted about half the ones I get from uh, Brightside, St. Louis. And now today, I'm going to probably plan on doing the next, you know, the last of them. So I've, uh, you know, normally it's sometime between Halloween and Thanksgiving. I like to get them all done during that sort of month period. Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. And I, you know, I do everything. I, from Brightside, St. Louis, I get basically tulips and daffodils. And I, you know, I have some in the ground, but the majority of them I just grow in pots. And at the end of the season, you know, when they're finished blooming in the spring, you know, to be honest with you, I pull them out and I do take them into the green waste dumpsters. But I don't, you know, keep them year in, year out. So it's just one of the things I do. And then, like I said, I do have a few in the ground. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: No matter what the season, you have a friend with KMOX News. Now
5: we have a list of people that did very poorly. You've got a friend in me. Mike Kaufman. Too bad, Mike. You've got a friend in me. Mia Love. Mia Love gave me no love. You just remember what your old past is, And she lost. Boy, you got a friend in me. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. Yeah, you got a friend in me. Peter Peter Roskam. Didn't want the embrace. Eric Paulson didn't want the embrace. John Faso, those are some of the people that, you know, decided for their own reason not to embrace me. You got a friend in me. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad. You got a friend in me. Your friend for all things news. But I feel just fine about it. News Radio
1: 1120, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. One of the things you could be doing this time of year is obviously pruning. So myself, I've got a Leland Cypress and... The branch, the lowest branches are just elongating too much. I didn't quite realize it was going to, you know, get as big as it has. So, gee, I guess I didn't look at maturity. But uh, so I'm going to start limbing it up a little bit, so to let some more light to get in it, so I can try, you know, I, so I can grow successfully some of the plants at the base of the cypress tree. And this is not a bald cypress, Leland cypress, and uh, I've got things growing there now which they do fine, it's just they always have to lean because they're trying to get as much light as possible. These are perennials and things along that line. And uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it today, but sometime during this winter, I'm going to limit up about uh, three or four feet and let some light in there. And also I'm doing this because we've got some, let's say, feral cats in the neighborhood, and these cats hang out underneath there all the time. So I chase them out whenever I see them. But obviously, I'm not out there all the time to be chasing them. And uh, I don't mind if they go someplace else. I just don't want them hanging out in my yard. So Martha lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Martha.
6: Good morning, Mike. We have utilized a commercial lawn service for several years. And through a series of no-shows, they were due here to do the core aeration and seeding. They came yesterday when they said the ground was very frozen and not getting any cores out. Is this something we should just put off this year? Um, if they're not getting cores up, I don't understand the value of having it done.
2: <laughs> You're absolutely right. Now, I don't understand how the ground was frozen yesterday.
6: I, I don't either. The young man that was here, he said that um, he wasn't able to get any cores up in a comp- in a portion of the yard, and we have a large backyard, so I saw no reason for him to to go forward with it. Is it something that they should still be able to be getting cores up, even though the ground is cold?
2: Well, first of all, let me ask you: What kind of lawn do you have?
6: Um, I would say that it is a combination of zoysia and fescue.
2: You definitely don't want to do it in the zoysia because what that does is, let's say, if they do finally get the cores out, it exposes, you know, right around where that plug has come out of the ground, the crown of the zoysia plant. And that is very susceptible to, the. I mean, the cold like we're having. And so okay. that could really do some major damage to your lawn. Okay. Now, the fescue, which is a cool-season lawn, and bluegrass are cool-season lawns, they can handle it. But it is even getting a little bit late for them to be, you know, with a core aeration this year.
6: Okay, perfect. That was the, my gut instinct, um, helped by my husband, <laughs> telling me um, what he thought was right. And so... They said, well, you could wait till spring and do it then. They also mentioned that the ground, uh, oh, I think Thanksgiving is supposed to be in the 50s. But it sounds like it's too late in the season, period.
2: Yeah, Jesus. because you just don't know. I mean, it could be 50 around Thanksgiving, but two days later it could be zero for all we know. Exactly. And it is I mean, Louis. even on cool season lawns, to expose the crown, and that's, let's say, the where the root system and the blades of the grass meet, that's not really good. It's kind of like going outside, and I do that because you know I have, let's say, wild and crazy hair. But some people have, let's say, shorter hair, and they go outside when it's really cold. They generally wear a hat of some sort because okay. I mean they don't, you know, the crown, which is a, it's more or less the top of their skull. Let's put it that way, gets very, very cold, and it could be, you know, less, I don't want to say, damaging to your skull, but it could be damaging in a bad, bad way.
6: Wonderful. Thank you, and thank you for your service, Mike. We're we're a military family, so I appreciate it.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you, and thanks to everybody else who did serve in the military. I mean, there was a lot of people who did. It was just kind of incredible. I think, uh, I can't remember, there was only like maybe two or three of us from St. Louis that were going, you know, let's say to basic training the day I did when they flew us down to San Antonio. And uh, it was just kind of like... uh, there was other people that had signed up for other various type things. But I'd been, uh, I'd you know, dropped out of school in Cape Girardeau, and I was 1A. So I knew I was going to, you know, be drafted very, very soon. And consequently, I'm not really so much into, let's say, I'm stupidly saying not so much into shooting. But there I am, you know, end up doing, you know, telling bombers where to go and all this other stuff. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Thanks, Martha greatly appreciate it. And if anybody does have any questions or concerns 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You're going to see that probably all the crabgrass and all let's say the weedy, you know, plants they're all over your lawn or your bed spaces or everything else. This will definitely knock them out. They're they're dead. But consequently, what happens is through this whole growing season, the warm season weeds that germinated, eh, you know, it's hard to say, let's say sometime in May, it's soil temperature dependent, but uh, they've dropped seeds the whole time. So even though the mother plants or father plants, either way, uh, you know, are dead, they're consequently, they've dropped a lot of seed, and then that's when You know, Guess what? Those seeds will just lay there all winter long and then germinate again when the soil temperatures start coming. So that's why you put a pre-emergent down. You probably put the pre-emergent down when the forsythia is in bloom, when the soil temperature is around 50 degrees. And that's how, you know, but then, you know, consequently the cold season or cool season annuals like the henbits and things like that, they could care less about the cold. I mean, it's just surprising how vigorous they look. And they're not really big yet, but, you know, the, consequently, they're continuing to germinate because I have one spot where I just kind of, you know, sort of let them go. I pull them out, but I just, you know, every week I find some new hinbit that is, you know, just new seeds that have germinated. So let's go now out to St. Charles and see what's going on with George. George, how are you today?
4: Good morning. My question is, with Georgia Yard, can I still power rake it?
2: Uh, I would not, to be honest. I mean, it's again, you're just you know, you're exposing this this the crown of the plant where you could do some major. It's they could get some major damage due to the cold. So Let's I wait would
4: until the spring.
2: Yeah, I would probably wait. Do it right as it's starting to green up in the springtime. Okay. Now you're gonna if you have leaves, you're gonna have to end up breaking, and that's not that's or you want to get some of the thatch out of it. That's fine. But power raking is a much different kind of circumstance. It goes, you know, it does, I don't want to say more damage, but it does put deeper cuts into the ground, exposing those crowns.
3: Okay, thank you.
2: Yep. And uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? I'll tell you what, if this fall was has been the most spectacular fall as far as deciduous tree color that I have ever remembered and, you know, the other day I was walking up uh, Rosa towards the house, and we've got those three sugar maples that go around the corner of our house. And the one that's straight out from the kitchen uh, window, as I looked up the hill, I mean, it was raining, these golden, y- orangish-yellow leaves there are so many falling at once. Now, one of the trees is already defoliated entirely. This one is the second one. And now the third one has just now started to drop leaves. So even though these trees are in close proximity and everything else, same variety, same age, it just shows you that you just don't know when the leaves are going to fall. But color-wise, our neighborhood it has, nothing, has been nothing but spectacular. So now let's go to Cindy, and Cindy lives in Crestwood. Hi, Cindy.
7: Hi. Um, I recently had a red maple cut down because it was dying, Mm -hmm. and now I want to replace it and plant a new tree, probably a red oak. And my question is, do you recommend to plant the new tree a certain distance from the old?
2: Yeah, I do, because certainly you can't put it, even if the stump's been ground out, you can't put it straight on top of that because that's solid wood. But the root systems of the tree, even though it's been removed even though it may have been, let's say, declining over a certain period of time, the root system on the tree, some of it could still be viable. So that's going to compete with any newly uh, installed plant material, regardless if it's another tree or anything else. So those, the root systems, of feeder roots, are still going to take up nutrients and moisture and compete with a new tree, which is trying to get itself established. So I'd say probably... 10 or 12 or 15 feet away and probe around and make sure before you actually do the installation and see, you know, how many roots there may be right in that location. Okay. I will do that. Thank you so much. Yes. And also remember to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball and only 80% is deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground. That enables any kind of settling that may happen. You still want to have the crown. Again, every plant has a crown where the root system and the trunk meet of the tree to be slightly higher than the surrounding ground, and it's going to be to the advantage. And then when it's planted, you know, head out to stainless composting, get some mulch, but only put you know, let's say. Three or four inches of mulch, and don't pile mulch up next to the bark.
7: Okay. And so, twenty percent of the root ball above the tree. Yeah,
2: above, I mean, the, above the top the of the. Yeah, above the surrounding ground. So, in other words, the top of the root ball, twenty percent of it should be exposed, higher than the surrounding ground.
6: Okay, sounds great. Thank All right. you so much. Yep.
2: Bye, Mike Miller. K M O X Garden Hotline. Back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I visit a lot of people that live kind of, let's say, out of the city where deers are a problem with, let's say, munching on a lot of different plant material. Here's a couple of the woody plant materials that deer do not seem to like. One is a ginkgo tree, one is an oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch, cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paper bark, birches, uh, rosa sharon, blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, and vitex. And those, are I mean, that's not to say they're not going to eat them, but they generally won't eat them just for the most part. If they have something else that they could munch on, they're going to do that. So that can definitely help. You make the decision that's going to make it so the deer are going to be less problematic, you know, let's say, eating your plant material. Now, of course, let's say the males rubbing on the branches and things along that line, now that's a different situation because they're not really consuming them. So uh, that's uh, unfortunately one of the things that you need to be concerned with. Uh, some of the perennials are ground covers. The deer seem to not like as much as others. The sedums. The uh, vinca minor or the periwinkle, creeping phlox, butterfly or milkweed, columbine, coreopsis, primrose, globe thistle. I wonder why, because it's so stickery. Purple coneflower and most of the ferns they stay away from, as well as the sages, as thyme. let's say, and the acanthus and hellebores and insomnia. So a lot of the native ones as well. So Shows you some of the wildflowers are really going to be to your advantage. Some of the bulbs they stay away from, like the alliums, crocus, glory of snow, snowdrops, cilias, hyacinth, grape hyacinths, and uh, annual wise, you don't care about the annuals now, but next year maybe marigolds, lantana, and uh, snapdragons, claomi, they don't seem to like either. So, a couple things in my own yard. This past week, I'd been I'd already planted several herbs in window boxes, and I'd had them sitting in the backyard, you know, on top of the I have this old wash tub, and the old wash tub goes inside the garage during the winter time. So then, consequently, what happens is, uh, I was decided I was going to take it into the garage, and I had planned on putting these window boxes in our kitchen window that looks out onto the street, and that's what I did. So I've got creeping thyme. I've got a uh, lemon thyme. I've got a couple of rosemaries and two different types of variegated sages. Now, in the past couple years, what I've done is I've just dug up some, let's say, newly sprouted junipers because the birds eat the juniper berries in the neighborhood. Then they come and sit around in the trees or on the power lines or whatever. And then guess what? They drop, the seeds germinate, and then I get all these little bitty junipers. So that's what I did for the last couple of years. So this year, I just decided to do something entirely different. And uh, lawn-wise, Zoysia is our main lawn. We do have a few other things that come up in it. But uh, Zoiza probably, I've done my final cut with that. But sometimes I set my mower blade high and just do go over all the leaves because we do get a huge amount of leaves. This year, this leaves haven't started blowing up out of the park quite yet, but the maple trees that we have have dumped a lot of leaves on the, our gold moss sedum or sedum acre. So, one of these days, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna set the mower high and just go over the sedum so it can chop all the leaves and then basically mulch because I have mulching mower and then just throw them right back down onto the sedum. I don't want it to be too deep on the sedum. The sedum, this is one of the sedums that is not necessarily evergreen, so that's kind of somewhat problematic from that standpoint. But uh, that's okay. You know, you can't. I just like it because it's easy to grow. And my grandmother, who lived in Richmond Heights, she always had the gold moss sedum around a couple, a bird bath, and a few other things. So that's one of the reasons that I keep it myself. And or I like to grow it myself. Other things that you may be thinking about in your yard is just taking a look in general. This is a really good time as the leaves start falling that you can actually say, You know, this is something I really like. Maybe I should plant more of it. Or this is something I don't necessarily like. Maybe I should take it, you know, take it out. So, I mean, be realistic and really evaluate things and see how the plant material is doing. You know, unhealthy plant material, a lot of times you just, you don't know exactly what is the cause of it. And uh, a gentleman called me yesterday. I think it was, yeah, it was yesterday. And he's, you know, he had some advice on some tree care. And he had some branches were overhanging his house. And he said, well, one of the, some of the tree services said they were just going to cut the branch back because the reason why it wasn't just overhanging the house, squirrels were dropping off the branches onto the roof and then getting into their attic. And that was trouble. But the, one of the tree services said they were just going to cut the branch and leave a stub that was about 8 to 10 or 12 feet long and I said, well, why would they want to leave a stub? Because a stub, it's never going to do any good. If the branches on any tree are high or longer than the branches below, then usually those branches below end up not producing. Uh, you know, they, don't, they can't keep up. So consequently, the tree is going to part- compartmentalize them and just shut them off. So if you just stub some of the lower branches back, just doesn't make any sense at all. You should actually make the final cut. Remove the branch entirely and leave about a oh, quarter to a half inch to an inch stub. And that way the tree can heal itself and it won't have this potential deadwood branch in just in the future. So Randy lives in um, Sunset Hills. Hi, Randy. How are you?
4: Oops. <laughs> you know that
5: I was also in the Second Air Force in SAC, 69 through 73. Whoa. But I was at Grissom Air Force Base. Oh, really?
2: You're familiar with Grissom? Well, I, you know, to be honest with you, I recognize the name, but I couldn't tell you where it is.
5: It was in Peru, Indiana.
2: Ah. But I, I crewed
5: B 52s and one thirty five so I was flying Young Tiger missions out of Utapal. Remember Utapal, Yes. Thailand? Right. And, uh, and uh, also ArcLight.
2: Man, oh man, you had a you had kind of fun time.
5: Oh yeah, a lot of fun. I want to thank you very much for sending us in the right direction.
2: But I mean, it's it was just kind of amazing when you get into a circumstance like you're speaking of. The people that are around you, it's really nice to know that you know supporting each other is extremely important. It is in all life, any work, any working circumstance, or anything else. But in this situation, where we were faced with something that we knew back, you know, basically, in the in many of the people really were kind of against the whole military type thing, and I can kind of understand where they were coming from. But uh, it was uh, really to have just be embraced by your fellow military guys was really, I mean, that was wonderful.
5: Yeah, we were a happy sack family. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's great. And for people that don't you know, don't understand what SAC is, strategic air force command. So that's uh it's just amazing. And TAC is the fighters, SAC was the B fifty twos and then Mac is the you know, transports. That was it. So well thanks. Thanks for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Bye bye. Yeah, you never know where life is gonna lead you. So I got discharged in California when I was at March Air Force Base, so I stayed out there and went to school. And uh, when I finished school, I couldn't really find any kind of job related to horticulture botany that that I really kind of thought I wanted to do right then, even though it's Southern California and everything else. So I had sent a letter back to the Botanical Garden here, and they said, sure, come back. And uh, I thought, well, I'll come back for a few years, get some experience at the Botanical Garden, and then end up going back to California because I really enjoyed the whole— all the different climate zones in California. It was just amazing to go from the beach to high mountains within a, two or three hours. So that was really kind of the plus side of that. But I, you know, I came back, got the job in the English Woodland Garden just as it had started. Spent several years there, then one year in the Climatron because I'd been there when I was in sixth grade. It just opened up that year. And uh, I thought, well, you know, and then so many other things just started happening here all these years later. And I'm still here. And I ended up on you know, KMWX. I ended up teaching at the community college, teaching all kinds of different, you know, at the various other locations as well. So it's just been absolutely a wonderful thing. And the Air Force really was the, kind of the kickoff, you know, to kind of get me motivated because obviously I had already dropped out of, you know, Cape Girardeau, southeast Missouri State, and I just, you know, I was just really lethargic about most of everything that was going on in my life, and then consequently, this it really kind of ignited everything, so that was a real plus. So, I can see now, we're on the back side of the Soldiers Memorial, but the, all the awnings and tents, I can see a lot of people are coming downtown, so if you are coming, you know, for the events that are going to be here... Just be careful, be cautious, and be you know calm and be patient because there are a lot of people coming all over. Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news.
1: K M O X is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now here's your host, Mike Miller on K M O
0: X.
2: Yes, thank you, Mr. Kelly, for that news update. I'm glad the uh, ramp. What was it, 44 and 270?
0: Yeah, northbound 270 to westbound 44.
2: Boy, oh boy, want a ramp like that. Even though you say it would just go up to Daughter Ferry and turn around and come yeah. back, the lineup, you know, it turns out to be insane yeah, to could be able be a mess. do that. So uh, unfortunately for the tractor-trailer driver, but unfortunately for all the people that needed to use that ramp. So anyway, glad it's clear. Folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show, and we can talk about plant selection, the cares, the ups and downs, and all arounds. I didn't get a chance this morning while I was uh, coming going out to the car and everything else to check and see how my cool season, let's say, vegetables, ornamental vegetables, edibles, did with that cold last night. I'm sure the I've, I have had some begonias that were, you know, looking very good. I'm sure they're, you know, let's say frozen. I'll put the polos out when I get home today. And then we had a mandevilla vine that we, I'd left out. And uh, outside the bedroom window, I'd planted it uh, so Tracy could see all the red flowers on the mandevilla. My thought is that's probably uh, frozen as well, so I'll get rid of that pot. But... Uh, it's really kind of amazing. I want to see how the ornamental kale, the ornamental cabbage, and there was uh, some of the pansies, see how they have done due to this cold. So, like I said this morning, I didn't get a chance to check them out. Um, all the cannas and everything have been dug up. All my elephant ears, the pots are in the garage. i got to flip the pots over and get all the bulbs out. But it is uh, then those are going to be stored inside in the basement for the wintertime. And like I said, I'm still planting um Spring flowering bulbs, daffodils and tulips mainly. i got a couple hyacinths. Hyacinths I like because, uh, as I was saying when I was in the Air Force, part of the time was in Barksdale. And that's in Shreveport, which is not necessarily all that close to New Orleans. But New Orleans, the city of New Orleans, hyacinth is one of their, let's say, the flowers of that city. So we went down to New Orleans several times when I was at Barksdale. And uh, I want to say it's, you know, it's on their, you know, A sewer, you know, metal sewer covers or something. It says, you know, that that's the highest, you know, bulb is the city of uh, New Orleans plant. But I don't know exactly how it was, you know, how that really kind of stuck in my memory. But anyway, how your ground covers are doing. How about your other edibles? I'm sure if you have any tomatoes or anything, that, that stuff should be long gone. But some of the cool season things, I mean, they still might be doing very, very well. And because that's the whole idea behind them. Your houseplants, hopefully they're inside and they're acclimating. The one gentleman that called about us a pomegranate tree losing 80% of its leaves. That's not a really good sign. But, uh, you know, I told him just kind of keep his fingers crossed and see what happens. How about your lawn? How's it looking? Your zoysias should be pretty. It's, they're not brown yet, but they're definitely headed in that direction. Your cool season lawns, your fescues and bluegrasses, they're still looking vibrant. And with those, you probably should continue cutting. You don't want them to elongate because the problem behind that is if the blades get too long, then we get really a a wet circumstance that just sort of triggers some of the fungus and molds of wintertime. Your roses, too early to cut back your roses, don't do that yet. Cutting back on your shrubs, you can do that. Just remember, and trees, anything that flowers in the springtime, if you cut them, you can prune them. Yes, you can do that. But you're just reducing the amount of flowers that you're going to have for next year. So many times it's best, if possible, just to wait until after they flower, whether it's a redbud tree, a dogwood, it doesn't matter, Uh, fringe tree, and just wait until after they flower and then do the pruning at that time. Vines, clematis, and things along that line, Uh, I did finally remove all the uh, moonflowers and hyacinth bean vines that we had growing or I had growing on the fence because uh, I wanted to leave really kind of some ugly, scary leaves. And uh, once Halloween was over, then I went ahead and cut them back. But I'll share my thoughts, but always remember my answers, comments and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. Greg Harvey is producing today and he's really Always doing the perfect job that he always does. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And uh, we can discuss anything that's going on in your yard, whether it's should this be removed? What should happen here? Is this a good spot? Should I eliminate this bed space? Why is this happening? Or just, you know, we want to add some more color back here. Or we want to, let's say, screen a view. Or we want to do this. We can talk about anything at all. And basically, every, you know, when I st- t- we talk about various plant materials, also I'm going to look at your plant material, existing plants, and say, well, you can do that here, but the plant that's close by, let's say, likes a little bit of a different circumstance. Let's say you want to plant something around a lilac, and lilac like alkaline soil. So, in other words, salty soil. And so if you want to put something like an azalea around your lilacs, that's not good because azaleas like acidic soil, lilacs, like, uh, lilacs prefer alkaline soil. So that's, let's say that that's just not going to work if you put them too close together. It's just not for the best thing for the plant. So the walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com on the homepage. You can get my email address and phone number and contact me and we can schedule a time where I'll come to your home. Uh, Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or situation that has made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the Trial today goes to all the voters last Tuesday. Now, whether you were upset about the end results or anything else, it doesn't matter. But if you took the time and effort to go, that is fantastic. We are in the city, and you know we're, uh, we go to this school, elementary school, in the gymnasium. And there's two different precincts. We're third precinct, or we're fourth precinct, and there's third precinct there. And just uh, we kind of went in mid morning because we were trying. We didn't want to go too early. We figured the lines would be too long, and uh, we didn't want to go too late because the lines would be too long. So we actually hit it when the timing was fairly good. But I have to make a joke. So, But the tip of the trial definitely goes out to all the people that took the time and effort to go vote. Because, like I said, it's just to exercise that right and to make it so whether you're like the end result is not exactly what you wanted. Still, you made your voice heard. And that's what is really it's all about. But. Uh, we uh, we stood in line for the electronic voting as opposed to filling out the papers, and the line was longer for that. But uh, one of the electronic voting machines was not working, so I, I was joking to the gentleman that was there, you know, as one of the pollmeisters or whatever you want to call him. Uh, I said, "Is that our tax dollars at work?" You know, because this one wasn't working, he said, well, I've already got a call downtown and they're going to send a tech out to try to get it straightened out. So, if, you know, that would certainly make it. And I'm sure they did. They got it all taken care of. But I want to make a cynical joke to say that. So, again, the tip of the trial goes out to all the visitors, <laughs> visitors, no, all the voters on last Tuesday that took time out from their life, regardless of what it is, when it was or anything else, to um, to go and vo- vote. When I was walking around, I always take the kind of pre-dawn walk. A lady that I talked to, because she sits out on her front porch a lot. Here it was, 6.30, and she was out getting into her car. And this was on Tuesday morning. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I said, good morning, how are you, blah, blah, blah. She says, I'm getting, you know, she's going up to vote. So she was headed up there at 6.30, I guess, I don't know what time the polls open. I didn't think they opened until 7, but she was going to get in line so she could get her vote in. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. Sunday
1: is Veterans
2: Day.
8: Can you ever thank somebody enough for protecting your freedom?
1: It's a day to honor those who have fought and continue to fight for our freedom. Thank you for your service and thank you for helping defend our freedom in our great country. A day to say thank you. I
0: can't thank them enough.
1: A day to remember. Best troops in the world protecting us. We will never forget this Veterans Day. It's a day to remember. News Radio 1120, King MOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't think the ground is frozen much more than a, you know, let's say a quarter or a half inch or something maybe at the maximum, but I will tell you once the ground really starts getting cold and does freeze, planting any kind of plant material is not the best thing you could possibly doing. Because when you dig the hole, you can dig the hole the correct size for a tree or shrub, three times the diameter of the root ball, and the correct depth and everything else. But if the ground is frozen, it's going to be in chunks. And when you put it back in the hole, you, let's say you're back filling it after the, the root system has been dropped into the hole and everything else. If the ground is frozen, you're going to end up with, let's say, gaps in between all, let's say, the chunks and those gaps will fill up with cold water and those cold and the cold water yes and the rain but cold air as well and then what can happen is that could really do some damage to the root systems of newly installed plant material so once the ground is frozen deeply it is advisable not to do any planting one other thing too even though it hasn't been all that cold i did notice the you know when i was taking my good gardening stroll this morning over at the soldiers' memorial, that some of the plant material looked like it had you know, gone through the freeze-thaw cycle where it had been popped up out of the ground. So in other words, when plant material doesn't have its root system established well enough, the freezing and then the thawing and the freezing and thawing actually more or less tears the root system up and can pop the plant up a little bit. So now there's thousands of plants around there, so I'm not saying there was anything wrong with what had happened. And this was just really random, but I did it made me think again about what the freeze-thaw cycle can actually do to newly installed plant material. Let's head out to Manchester and go into Donald's yard. Hi, Donald.
4: Yes, I have two questions. I aerated, I uh, detached, I had compost spread. The guy put the compost down... And then put the seed on top of it. is that correct?
2: It won't you know, it doesn't really matter that much just so because the seed will migrate down through the compost. Normally, I would say the seed should go before the compost because I want the seed in direct contact with the soil, but uh, if you know he obviously thinks that this is the better way to do it, so that's why he did it.
4: Okay, And the second question, how much should I worry about water through the winter?
2: Uh, if we have extended periods, of droughts, especially, I'm assuming has the grass seed germinated yet?
4: Oh yes, it looks wonderful.
2: Okay, so uh, there's not really too much you're going to be able to do, uh, to be honest. But just hopefully, it's you know there won't there won't be extended drought periods because that is the worst thing for newly germinated seed possible because they just they don't have a reservation or re, you know reserve of moisture in you know in the ground and that when the ground gets dry dehydrated then that pulls moisture out of the root systems and that's you know just that's where the problem comes so you can be overly con- you can be concerned but there's not really all going to be too much that you can really do
4: okay so I don't have to be worried about going out cuz I've watered right up to about 2 weeks
2: ago yeah they should, you know that should be adequate and like I said we just don't know what the weather's going to be like but if we have a, you know, th- let's say 20, let's say 20 day to 30 day period of time through the wintertime when there's no moisture at all, through snow, through rain, through anything, that's not a good sign and that could really impact any kind of newly germinated lawn circumstance.
4: Yes, okay. All right. Uh, the D Satch guy, I had to have him come back the second time. There was so much. And he got a terrific mouth the first time and the second time. So that really does work.
2: Absolutely. Dethatching is something that's, you know, in larger lawns, using a power equipment, I dethatch by just using a hand rake myself. But, uh, yeah, it's surprising how much. And thatch is not necessarily just grass clippings because you're going to have thatch regardless if you bag your lawn clippings or not. So that's really, I mean, dethatching is really important. It gets rid of all the dead debris, not just grass clippings, even if you have bagged all your clippings throughout the entire season that you've been mowing.
4: And I proved a point. I told him, I said, it's not growing. I raked off a 10 by 10, and I reseeded it and done it all myself. The grass was up beautiful. Right, Right. because... look at this and look what you put down. Yeah,
2: if you dethatch, if it's, you know, if there's too much thatch there, the seed is not going to be able to get in contact with the soil and, you know, penetrate with the root system. That's probably what happened. The seed was just laying on top of the thatch, and if it germinated, it still wasn't going into the soil, so consequently it was drying out through windy, you know, periods of time and things along that line. Right.
4: Okay. That's what I would figure... Okay, thank you very much.
2: Certainly. And now let's, from Manchester, go to Webster Groves. Marianne, how are you today?
7: Okay. I'm looking out my window, and um, I have big birdhouse gourds. Do I take them in now, or I always thought you are supposed to leave them on the vine?
2: It probably won't hurt them. I'm assuming they're already starting to turn brown, or are they still green? No,
7: they're green.
2: Ah, uh, hmm. I would say... Ugh.
7: Yeah,
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> they should go out there and just feel them and see how they feel. And okay. if, as long as they feel, you know, tough and, you know, rigid and everything else and stiff, you're fine. If you start to feel some cushiony, you know, spots in them, yeah. that's not a good sign.
7: Okay, I got it. And one other question. Um, I'm older, <laughs> and we have a bald cypress that grew for 10 years, and it, it's really tall, and we need another tall tree next to it to block the afternoon sun. What is a good tall, fast-growing tree? Uh, ten years, ten years. <laughs> maybe more.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I was—that's you know—that's going to be a tough one because I mean, something in ten years, not necessarily is going to grow to provide you with the you know with the shade that you what you're yeah. sort of yeah. looking at. Yeah. I would say, how close are we going to be to your house? Uh, close. Oh,
7: I mean, but it's okay. It wouldn't bother our house. It's in the back of our house.
2: Okay, I would say the fastest growing tree is going to be a silver maple, and that's one that's a soft maple and everything else. But it's going to give you the quickest, you know, yeah. Let's say shade provider that there that is going to do well here without the with a minimum amount of care.
7: Okay,
2: that's what I need. Thank yeah. you so much. Right, and I mean people, people. I grew up in Maple Lane in Ellisville. We had silver maples. Some of them were too close to the house, so they drop, you know, junk into the you know gutters and everything else. Yeah, we're, we're but okay uh, that's uh, you know, if you want a fast-growing tree, that's the fastest one. It's going to get adequate size. Sounds good. Right. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly. And now let's go to St. Charles and into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim.
5: Hi, Mike. Uh, I have one simple question. I have a fescue yard, and I pulled out my last soil test. It's from 2016. And I overlooked one item. It said I'm very low in magnesium. Now, what in the world would I put down to put magnesium into my yard?
2: Just the next time that you, uh, let's say, apply a fertilizer, just make sure on the list of different nutrients in your fertilizer that it has magnesium in it. That's the best way to do it.
5: Well, I, I don't think I've ever put fertilizer down that said magnesium, said sometimes iron.
2: Yeah, iron is, you know, I mean, magnesium is going to be, there's going to be fertilizer. You might have to just go online and see which fertilizers have the magnesium added into the fertilizer.
5: Yeah, because i got to stay away from stuff that has that uh, the second number, the phosphorus or whatever. Right, because you've
2: got an uh, overabundant of, var- of that.
5: I'm very high, right. And, uh, you have a very high range. Uh, the phosphate, it's fine. it finally came down, right. Uh, and uh, calcium's good too. but yeah uh, those- I mean,
2: you could get magnesium, but you know there's magnesium sulfate and things along that line, but they're very difficult to spread. That's yeah. why I'm saying just get some fertilizer that has it as part of the grain part of the granular that's much easier to do because you start getting some of this stuff and you go good lord i mean how am i supposed to spread this it's just you know i mean so you don't create a nightmare by putting too much one place and not enough in another place so right. i mean even you know i don't want to say professional companies can do it but for the most part the homeowner it's a little bit difficult
5: Okay, I'll keep my eyes open when I read the package. Yeah, just
2: I mean most of them, you know, they should say magnesium or just put a search, you know, online and say you know lawn fertilizer with magnesium and see which you know which types they recommend.
5: All right, we'll do. Thank you, Mike.
2: All right, take care, Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline. Back after these messages.
1: Weekday mornings, start your day with Total Information AM. I'm Tom Ackerman.
2: I'm Debbie Monterey.
1: Tom and Debbie keep you updated with world, national, and local news. Local news matters. We cover the morning commute with Roger Brand and Maria Kina. couple of accidents in the city. Report of an accident at Westbound 70, of Broadway. And you get the latest weather. <laughs> this is Hank, for the meteorologist needs more breezy and turning much cooler today. And everything sports.
5: Uh, a lot of good chances for the
1: blues. Total Information AM. I listen to it. and I feel ready to go for the day. Weekday mornings beginning at 5 on KMOX. Let's go, Blues! Hey, Blues fans, Chris Kerber with you, and we've got some Sunday afternoon hockey coming your way. The Blues face off against the Minnesota Wild. It's a 1.30 pregame, 2 o'clock faceoff right here on the home of your St. Louis Blues, KMOX. Let's go! Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Madonna lives in Oakville. Hi, Madonna. How are you?
9: Fine. How are you? Very good. good, morning. good. <coughs> I have a question, but I also have a comment. Okay. This, okay. Okay. The polls open at 6 a.m. Some of the poll workers, they work 16-and-a-half-hour days the other day. I got to the polls at 5.30 in the morning and stood in line. But I'm not calling about that. I also have a vegetable question, cool weather. The thing is, this holiday weekend, I want to thank you for your military service, and I want to thank every poll worker, every poll worker out there, and, and especially every veteran out there. Then my question is, I have a friend who, her family owned a farm, and she told me that their parsley used to come back every year. So I have left my parsley plants out there under frost blankets. Does parsley come back? I thought that was an annual. (laughs)
2: For for the most part, it is. But maybe, you know, I don't know what, there are several different varieties of parsley, but maybe this parsley that they were growing actually produced seed and dropped the seed and then grew from the seed. But, yeah, for the most part... You know, parsley is not a perennial.
9: Okay. All right. And thank you for your service, sir.
2: Well, thank you. And, you know, that's not to say, I mean, there's always individual circumstances. You you just don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I've never grown parsley. Maybe I should have left it in the ground or whatever. But uh, for the most part, I don't consider parsley a perennial type of herb. So uh, that's great that they had the luck with it. But, um, you know, how, I'm unsure. Thank you, Madonna, and thanks for your comments. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, those poll workers, it's amazing, you know, how patient they are, you know, because sometimes people are, you know, anyway, all the people are coming in to vote, they're, like I said, their patience is just unbelievable. Let's go now to Debbie, and she is in St. Charles. Hi, Debbie. Good morning. Hi.
7: I wanted to settle a little bit of a debate Uh need to have guidance on when to best trim
6: butterfly bushes,
2: how far back? Uh, basically, butterfly bushes, they bloom in the summertime, so any kind of summer bloomer can be pruned from the time that they kind of finish, let's say flowering, all the way up until the new growth, which is just going to be leaves and the spring, starts. And pruning them back... Uh, Some people prune them back severely. I don't think that's the advisable thing. I never like to cut anything back, even something along, let's say, butterfly, which is kind of willowy and I don't want to say weedy growth, but it's kind of a weedy shrub as far as its appearance. And the reason why it is that way is because the butterflies can come in from all different kinds of angles and everything else. But uh, cutting back more than a third or a half, I don't recommend doing that. Okay. And what
7: about knockout roses? Bushes.
2: Basically, knockout roses—you can prune those back pretty heavily. It's you know, I, what I do is because I have mine in pots and I put them in the garage for the winter time. I cut them back. Probably right now they're let's say three to four feet in length. The longest stems I cut them back to about eighteen inches, and then I move the pots into the garage. But in in the ground, you could probably—I don't know if I would necessarily cut them back that much. But cutting them back again halfway, which shouldn't be a problem, and then with a, you know putting some mulch around them for the winter time to act as an insulator would be advisable. Okay, great.
8: And
7: now that we've had the frost, can I trim back my hostas to ground
2: uh, level? Yeah, I mean your hostas probably the foliage is already discolored. My, you know, mine really looked good until about uh, ten days or so ago, and then. All of a sudden, they started turning yellow, and then within you know three or four days, the foliage was completely yellow. So yeah, you can definitely cut them back. Awesome. All
7: right, thanks for the information. Yep. Appreciate your
2: show. Have Certainly. Yeah, the butterfly bushes, roses, shear, and crepe myrtles—they are really tough and durable. The reason why I say don't cut you know many of the things back more than half is because sometimes, many times, the plants can recover from it. If you cut them back too severely it takes them a while to get enough foliage to produce good food for the plant. So in other words, the rest of the plant, the stems, the root system, and everything else still needs to be fed. And that food comes from the fact that the leaves use sunlight to create chlorophyll, and that's with the nutrients and moisture from the root system. So if you cut them back up really, really a lot, then there's not very many leaves, and it just takes them longer to acclimate to that, to that circumstance. So Keith lives in Overland. Keith, how are you today?
4: I'm fine. Thank you for taking the call. Sure. Uh, This is the first year I've planted some mums, and they're doing great. They're beautiful. What do I do to get them ready for the winter to where they'll, you know, come back again. Basically,
2: Basically don't, don't cut, cut, the cut the foliage off the stems off, stems, off stems off or anything like that whatsoever. Just leave that entirely through the entire winter time. Anything asters, mums, all that stuff should, you know, what the, the stuff that you're leaving in place, even if the leaves turn brown and the stems you wonder why should I leave this? It again helps protect the crown of the plant. It's you know, I keep talking about the crowns, but that is really uh, the crucial part. And also you can look at your mums and to make sure the ones, you know, that you're going to come back next year, you should see little leaflets right at the ground level coming off the stem of the mom. And if you see those little leaflets there, then that means it's acclimated enough and it should come back next, you know, next year. And it's going to take several, I mean, several prunings through the entire early growing season to get them nice and thick and bushy. Because if you don't prune them back, like, uh, probably once they get about, let's say, nine inches, you cut, you prune them back to four and a half inches, then you let them get uh, a little bit longer than that, then you prune them back. So it'll take three prunings. That's the only way to get them full and bushy, or else they're just going to elongate and flop over.
3: Oh, okay. All right, thank you. Yep.
2: So it's, I mean, it's a lot of work to get them nice and thick and bushy like they are in the, the nurseries when you buy them or anything else. It's, it just doesn't happen on their own. The, you got to force them to make all those branches come off from the stems. So let's go now to Ken, and Ken lives in Cape Girardeau. Hi, Ken.
10: Yes, sir. Hey, I've got a couple of pin oak trees that we've had for 30, 35 years in our front yard. One of them looks beautiful. The other one just started about last year where it started not getting all its leaves and and thinning out and uh, throughout the year, and now this year it's really looking bad where just a few branches have leaves on them. The mm-hmm. rest of them are, are dead, uh, dead limbs. And uh, I put some plant spikes around them for fertilizer and things like that uh, last year, hoping that would help it a little bit, but uh, didn't seem to help. And I was wondering, am I, am I losing my tree? Or is, And I looked around the trunk. I don't see any type of uh, ants or whatever else things can be down there. But, right. Uh, so what's what your thinking on that?
2: Basically, the tree is dead. If okay. you've got a tree that only has a few branches with leaves on it, that's, uh-huh. I mean, whatever caused it, it, I mean, it's very, very difficult to determine. So it's, am uh, you know, it's just hard to know. But once you lose more than like half the branches, that's a downhill slide. It's just, you know, going to be just longer or a more involved process. But it's, yours sounded like it's really, really a goner.
10: Yeah, it's... Uh... I was wondering if it was going to come back out on its own or uh, next year or or not. That I doubt is, it this year this year it's really looking bad. It's right. really looking bad yeah, yeah, if you've
2: watched it a couple of years and seen it get worse and worse and worse each year, that's yeah. where it's headed. It's a downhill slide.
10: yeah, okay, well it's it's a shame because it was a beautiful tree, but but the one next to it looks looks perfect, so that's so okay. That's what they know. Thank you. Yeah,
2: and just hopefully that one will stay stay good. And I don't know if this was an internal disease or not that caused this to happen because sometimes when trees are close to each other, the root systems will overgrow each other and almost, let's say, link up as far as the veins of the the root systems. And sometimes diseases can be transmitted from one tree to another through the root systems, which seems kind of incredible, but hopefully that's not what's going to happen to you.
10: Yeah, there's a pretty good space between them, good. but, I mean, they're getting close where the branches could almost touch. Yeah. But, uh, since they're so big now, but uh, we just hate to lose that tree because sure. it's in our front yard. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And to replace that is going to be pretty much impossible as far as, yeah. you know. Right. That's okay. the sad part. So, you know, okay. think about maybe putting in, a let's say, a small grove of ornamental trees or something along that line. But, okay. yeah. And for the feeder roots of all trees, they go beyond the extension of the branches. So, the okay. feeder roots are, you know, they were linked between the two. So, hopefully, it's not something that can be transmitted. Thanks, okay. Ken. Right. Thank you.
4: And, Thank you. Right.
2: Yeah, and thanks for uh, listening to us on Radio.com. And uh, let's why not? We should probably take a break. Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, we got about t- 10 minutes or so, and in Investing Sense will come on at 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Then at 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman Show. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. And 4 o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM with Fred Bottomore. So all kinds of different stuff coming up today paula lives in south county paula how are you
8: just fine how are you very good um i have a problem with my pool area i've had um we have a tiered pool where the upper level is about six feet above where our main pool is Mm -hmm. and i've had two trees that have now died twice in the 10 years we've had the pool in one is um a blue atlas cedar, and the first time, I think we've just had bad luck with it, the first time it broke off due to ice damage. Whoa. And this time, this summer, it died very quickly from the top down, and a few people have told me they thought it just was not getting enough water. The other one is a weeping atlas cedar, and both times it's kind of died a slow death where it's just over several years lost some branches and gotten um, brown. And I did have someone come out to look at it about a year and a half ago, and they said it was bores, and they showed me the boreholes, and they recommended not ever putting another evergreen in that spot. So I need to fix, replace those two trees, and I was wondering what you'd recommend. They need to be fairly compact from a root standpoint because they're not too far from the retaining wall. They also can't shed a lot of things into the pool because they're directly above our main pool. Um, and it gets about... Um, it's pretty much full southwest sun. So I was wondering what you'd recommend.
2: Basically, I don't think, I mean, these type of trees, as long as the soil is adequate, you know, lead drained, they don't need a lot of moisture. They like, you know, they grow naturally in more or less a rocky environment. So whoever said that there was lack of moisture, that's probably not the case. Now, does water spill over into these areas at all from the waterfall or anything?
8: Um. The the weeping cedar, there is like a small pool next to it, and then there's a waterfall that's about six feet tall that goes into the pool. There might be a little bit of spillover from the water, but it would be very little. The other one's probably about 20 feet from the smaller pool and, and um, waterfall, so it would not get any. And we do have an irrigation system.
2: Okay. The- what I would really do before you did anything else, I would get a soil sample and get it tested, find out what the soil pH is in this circumstance, find out what's really going on in the ground. That would be crucial before you, especially since you've already had trouble with a couple different things. Right. And so probably then after that, you know, to, once you find out that, then you can actually find out if you can have another type of evergreen go back in. Borers usually don't attack evergreens. So I'm surprised that's you know I mean that's you know a little bit surprising that there would be boars. I mean they will uh, more or less ooze sap out of the trunk, but usually it's not going to be a case that it's a boar attack, especially on okay. something a tree like that. I'm not saying these people are wrong. It just doesn't make more or less logical sense. Then, once you find out what the soil sample, you know, soil tests tell you, then you can make the plant choice from then. But probably look at something, you know, maybe like a Sweet Bay Magnolia. Yes, it's a deciduous tree, flowers in the summertime, but uh, more or less the whole Magnolia group has a pretty, let's say, compact root system.
8: Okay. And, and can that handle direct, you know, sun? Because oh. I've been told some of the magnolias are kind of temperamental or finicky.
2: Well, this one, they can handle direct sun. I mean, that okay. shouldn't be a problem.
8: Okay. Okay, so you think the best thing is to first figure out what's going on with the soil?
2: Exactly, or you're just going to be spinning your wheels.
8: Okay. Okay, can I ask you one other question? Sure. Um, one of the things we would looked at, depending on what the soil sample finds out, was a coral bark, bark Japanese maple, and I've had contradictory information about whether or not it should go in direct sun or not. Is that something that could handle direct sun if we find out that that's, a possibility for if they
2: have a very fine, let's say needle point roots or not root system, but leaf, then okay. every summer the tips of them are going to sunburn. There's no getting okay. around it. Okay. Now, crimson king maple. That's could I mean that are not crimson king, but uh you know some of the blood good varieties of Japanese maple could handle it because they have a bigger leaf. They don't have such long, let's say, fingers to the leaflet. Okay, so the size of the leaf
8: makes a difference.
2: Absolutely. Okay.
8: Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help.
2: Sure, and now let's go to St. Louis and to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom.
3: Mike, how are you doing this morning? Very good. Um, I got two questions. One, I had grub worms this summer, and I treated my lawn for grub worms. Hopefully got rid of them. I replanted, uh, reseeded my whole lawn, uh, and I'm just wondering how soon can I put
4: uh, a weed and seed on it?
2: I wouldn't do it this time of year. You're just wasting your money.
4: Okay. Well, I mean, in the spring, will I be able to?
2: Uh, you know, do you have a broadleaf weed problem? I would, you know, this time of year, what what type of grass did you put down? Fescue. Uh, okay. You can still do a winterizer fertilizer. I would do that. Okay. This time okay. of year. And then next year, I would wait and see, you know, what kind of problems that you're having before you decided to put a weed and feed or something like that down.
3: Okay. Also, um, the last week of September, or the last week of October, I planted two red maple trees. Is there anything I should do with them right now since winter's
4: coming on? Make
2: Basically, just make sure that uh, you know they don't go into winter time really dry. so uh, you know water them every so often every seven to ten days, just go out there and you know a couple two gallon buckets of water just pour slowly onto the root system and hydrate the root system.
3: okay. That's all we need.
4: I appreciate it very much.
2: Yep. Jacqueline lives in Frontenac. Hi, Jacqueline.
9: Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a pear tree. It's about 50 years old, and um, I've had pears most of the time. But three years ago, there was a problem with pear trees, and the branches died, and uh, I think you said just throw them away. But I didn't do that because there were a few alive branches. And now I have pears again. I want your advice on how to take care of the tree, what to feed it, and when to water it, etc.
2: Basically, if it's 50 years old, you've done everything just right. You don't have to change anything. That's just surprising that a fruiting tree would live to be that old. I know. <laughs> I mean, fire blight is a thing that was impacting them. Usually we were going to impact the Bradford pears and more or less the ornamental trees. But I would say don't, you know, don't alter anything and just be lucky that it's doing as well as it is. Because, like I said, fruiting trees just don't live that long.
9: So uh, any, no special, uh, anything that I should feed it? No. Okay, great. <laughs> and um, uh, I also have a, a, a plum tree. Uh, what about that? Is that any anything uh, special that you recommend? No,
2: not really. I mean, they're pretty tough, pretty durable. So, uh, again, it's going to be lifespan genetically more so than anything else.
9: And what about watering?
2: Uh, just, you know, if we have extended periods of drought, yes, go definitely water it. But if not, then, um, you know, just leave it alone.
9: Okay, thank
3: you.
2: Yep. And I'm sorry, Carol, I don't think I'm going to get a chance to talk to you. Carol is from Carlinville, so maybe you can call back next week. But everybody, just get out there and take a look and see what kind of damage has been done. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?